We get a call, we deliver. That's our motto. You don't make the pizza. No, no. I just deliver it. What? Is this all vegetables? Who ordered all vegetables? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Chris, we are back with another new bracket. We just exited the world of robots, had nothing to do with the seasonal uh, change here, fall, but we just wanted to do something fun. And we're hopping into something kind of seasonal. We're talking about the best fictional on-screen Disney food. So we're, we're talking about uh, foods that you've seen in movies that maybe we have or haven't tasted, and it's all because Thanksgiving's coming around, you know? We're about to feast, and it's time to celebrate that. Yeah, we had a lot of people, and have a lot of people, regularly recommend a Best Disneyland snack or Best Disneyland food to us, and I would love to do that bracket, <laughs> but yeah. I have not eaten everything at Disneyland that I feel like... <laughs> would qualify for that type of bracket and i mean i just i talk about stuff not being an expert in it all the time on this show but that one in particular i would feel bad about so and and i think i mean we're kind of in the middle of something called a pandemic and so these parks aren't even open for us to try the food so you know what people we're giving you exactly what you want but a little bit of a twist on it and to help us define what the best on-screen Disney food is, is our first time guest host, Dearsay. Dearsay, how's it going? Great. So happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this uh, exploration of foods. Uh, what is your connection to Disney? Did you grow up going to the parks? Were you fans of the movies? Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Oh, everything. Disney has been my life since the minute I was born. I was, um, I was my father's youngest daughter, so I was a pampered princess from the beginning. So they would send out to hand make my costumes for Halloween since I was a baby and they were always Disney. I'm a Southern California girl. So my birthday up until how old am I now? I think I did this last year. I can't even say that. <laughs> Every single birthday of my life, I have gone to Disneyland and my birthday is in the beginning of January. So everything's still set up for Christmas. Oh yeah. So it's fantastic. I get two things in one plus the Haunted Mansion holiday is objectively the best seasonal Disney. Oh, sorry. Let's just save that for another podcast, yeah. but let's save that for another episode. But yes, being a Southern California girl, I was lucky enough to go multiple times a year. I'm obsessed with Disney and I really love how, as I grew up, Disney kind of grew with me because I feel like the princesses, around the 90s started getting a little bit more kick-ass a little bit more girl power and it mm -hmm. really connected with me so uh, not only that but I'm so happy to be here on this week because my hobby my number one hobby is food yeah I think about food when I'm not eating food and I think about food when I'm eating it so 
Excited to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, before we start talking about foods, we got to talk about drinks. We got our spoonful of sugar segment. Kyle, what's in your cup today? I went ahead and I made myself a tequila sunrise. Uh, for those who don't know, tequila sunrise, I have it here in my handy dandy spoonful of sugar mug. And it consists of uh, two ounces, if you want, whatever you want, uh, <laughs> alcohol percentage in there. I did two ounces of tequila. Uh, measure out however much OJ you want. Throw that in there and then pour a little bit of grenadine in there for some more sweetness. Uh, so it's just a refreshing drink to have this week uh, start off the bracket strong. And I am calling it, and forgive me if I stumble over this because <laughs> I challenged myself with this name, the... <laughs> Rat tequila sunrise. Rat tequila sunrise. So oh, I wanted. Yeah, I I didn't know how many uh, tatas I should put in there, so I just went with one. At least two. Okay, Rat tequila sunrise uh, is my drink this week. Chris, what do you got in your cup? Well, I've got a new concoction currently being served at Epcot in the America Pavilion. Oh, this is a frozen beverage not frozen like the movie frozen as in it's cold <laughs> on ice it's called the apple pie moonshine slushy it's very simple it's just uh, cinnamon simple syrup which is really easy to make make like normal simple syrup but put some cinnamon sticks in there apple juice and apple pie moonshine so it's only three ingredients blend it with ice it's nice and refreshing on a warm day, nice and comforting on a cold day. And because we're talking about famous Disney foods, I'm calling it the poison apple pie today. There Ooh. you go. Dear Say, what do you got? All right. Forgive me for this, but I need to make a quick switcheroo. I don't know if you've got that, oh. but this is what I'm calling um, Minnie Mouse Margarita. Okay. Um, it has nothing, no connection to an actual margarita besides the fact that there's tequila in it. But this is about two ounces of tequila, a scoop of powdered pink lemonade drink mix, and topped off with a Truly or a White Claw of your choice. I went pineapple to keep the kind of a fruity, kind of tropical vibe. So Minnie Mouse Margarita. Oh, I love that. I love nice. the... Uh... Just kind of flying by the seat of your pants there. And the addition to the ears. You're bringing it all. I love it. Of course, it. you have to. <laughs> all right. So before we hop into our bracket and before we talk about what foods miss the dance, we got to talk about who we surveyed here. We surveyed folks that got really hyped over a recent announcement, Chris. Uh, there was a little bit of social drama, social media drama because of this announcement. Uh, we had an issue with an admin not logging out of... Uh, their account Wild. when this was announced. Wild. Uh, it, go ahead and just, based on that context, Google the story. It's pretty incredible. But Disney recently announced that they are going to open up Buena Vista Street and Disney's California Adventure for food and shopping. So you can go and dine in California Adventure uh, and shop as well without having to, you know, pay for park admission you get to explore that part of the parks it's going to give socal folks a little bit of taste of what the east coast has been enjoying for the better part of four months uh it's a bit of a tease so when disney announced people were stoked so of course we sent the interns onto social media they hopped into the comment section and they found disney california adventure fans 
in the comment section of Disney's announcement that Buena Vista Street is reopening. Uh, so, you know, they were obviously happy to talk about food because they were excited about dining. So this felt like the right demographic. And we ended up with a pretty strong 16. But even when you have a pretty strong 16, a few are going to miss the dance. I was really kind of skeptical at first about this bracket. I There weren't a whole lot of foods coming to my mind immediately when I was thinking about this. But as the responses rolled in, I was like, oh, wait, that's a good one. Oh, that's a really good one, too. And I ended up with probably like 30 very worthy food items that could have gone on this bracket. So sure. for me, there were a lot that missed the dance. Uh, one of those for me is the Jumbo Pop in Zootopia. You might remember <laughs> that one. It's uh, basically a popsicle that Nick Wilde conned his way into getting Judy Hopps to pay for for him, and then he flipped it for like a crazy profit. Totally. Alice's Growth Cookie, which is just a really tasty-looking sugar cookie. Yes. And also... From the Princess Diaries, Genovian ice cream, which they eat at the like fancy dinner for the prime minister or something, and it's green. It looks like it might be minty flavored, it might be apple flavored, might be pistachio flavored, who knows? But Mia takes a huge spoonful, she gets a brain freeze. I always wanted to know like what that might taste like. So I thought that was a, a pretty solid, could have made the dance, but just missed. Kyle, what do you got? Yeah, so the first one for me is uh, Jack's Peanut from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Of course, the big Pirates of the Caribbean fan had to find a food within that franchise to bring up. Uh, When Jack is stranded in Davy Jones' locker at the beginning of the third movie at World's End, uh, him and all of his other representations of himself are fighting over a single peanut that he never actually gets to enjoy until further along in the movie uh it's just a very memorable sequence to me and so of course i feel like that one missed the dance and of course the best disney animated movie that this company has ever created 101 dalmatians featured two extremely delicious looking deli sandwiches in the scene in which horace and jasper have captured the puppies, and they are chilling on the couch watching TV, enjoying these freshly made deli sandwiches. And I feel like we need to put a little respect on that entire scene. We need to put some respect on that entire movie. So I'm going to call it out here as missing the dance. Just had to get it in there. Just had to sneak in a little 101 Dalmatians. Every single time. It deserves it. Dearsay, what is a food or a couple of foods that miss the dance for you? Oh, I have uh, strong opinions about this. I was shocked and appalled. And let me go ahead and start by saying that there's a lot of great picks and I agree with most of them. However, I feel personally slighted by the fact, and maybe because this was one of my formative movies growing up, but Mulan, how can we forget Mushu's breakfast, the rice (laughs) porridge congee with the little egg eyes and a bacon smile? You're not to this wrong. Day, to this day, I want someone to make that for me. Can, that's a bucket list thing. If anyone out there wants to be my new best friend and you can make a good rice porridge, please let the guys know. They, they have my information. <laughs> um, but the first one that I came up with, I told you, Kyle, was I'm not sure if it looks good and that's why I want it or just the physics of it. But the pizza 
from a Goofy movie and that absolutely astronomical cheese pull. Yes. Just, I, I, I want that. I need that in my life. I need a pizza where you can pull it three feet away and the cheese is still clinging on. Oh, let's keep it PG here. God, I love cheese. <laughs> there are a few really interesting food moments in a Goofy movie. You have that really disgustingly good-looking pizza uh -huh. at the hotel room. You have dad soup, alphabet oh. soup, in the car when they're escaping Bigfoot. And then, of course, you have the leaning tower <laughs> of pizza. There, yeah, and all of that appeals to me for different reasons, but I had to give it to the pizza itself. And then this one's kind of a silly one. This is my last go, but... Um, if I don't know if you guys have done like a best one-off like small characters in mo in the movies, but do you guys ever see Monsters Inc? Of course. You remember course. you remember the scene where they get banished and they meet the <laughs> abominable. Don't say yellow snow cones right now. Do not say yellow snow. Yes, the snow cones. I thought I grew up. I thought they were lemon. I was like, how did you get lemon? up there you know I'm, ch I'm choosing to believe that they were beautiful and pleasant and he was just so eager to make friends and share that i'm just like i would happily take that thank you oh boy well to be fair the uh they do sell the snow cones at dca now so you know they exist in a realm that isn't the himalayas where you're right how do you get lemons little sus little sus on the snow cones all right, folks. Well, the time has come for us to announce our field of 16 best Disney on-screen foods that we will be bracketing and debating on this episode. Let's cue that dramatic music. Kyle, start us off. Singing in at the number one seed. Is it delicious? We asked the dishes, but they didn't reply. It is the gray stuff from Beauty and the Beast. Bringing people together from all walks of life, it's the number two seed, Tiana's Gumbo. Coming in hot at the number three seed, and in very large portions, it's Abuelita's Tamales from Coco. A meal fit for a peasant, coming in at number four, it's Remy's Ratatouille. It's a beautiful night for the number five seed, it's Spaghetti from Lady and the Tramp. Prepare for launch, blasting off at number six, it's Pizza Planet Pizza. Out the kitchen and into the number seven seed are Griffin Nuggets from Onward. She a sleeping beauty, so I call her sleeping beauty. Skirt, skirt, wrist moving, cooking to it. Coming in at number eight, it's Aurora's Birthday Cake. It's not too late to say sorry to our number nine seed. It's Eminem's Pizza from The Princess Diaries. She got seven dwarves, but a witch ain't one. Coming in at number 10, it's Snow White's Gooseberry Pie. How we love Le Number Seven. It is Chef Louis's stuffed crab from The Little Mermaid. Yeah, I know Jack-Jack Mama fond of me. All she want to do is eat that broccoli. Dropping into the number 12 spot is the Parr family's Chinese dinner in The Incredibles 2. Walking through the front door with some shades on is our number 13 seed, it's Bao from Bao. It's Winnie P and he makes honey moves. Floating into the number 14 spot is Pooh's Honey. 
Not sure if a dragon could actually survive off our number 15 seed, but Elliot made it work. It's Elliot's favorite apples from Pete's Dragon. No napkin, no problem. Rounding out the bracket with the number 16 seed is Al's Cheese Puffs in Toy Story 2. Okay, Kyle, we got stacked field of 16. Dear Say, how do we feel about these? Oh my goodness. I mean, can we talk about those introductions for a second? <laughs> um, there's a lot of interesting choices. There's a lot of choices we expected and a lot that honestly threw me for a loop. So I'm very excited to hear from both of you. Yeah. And with that, let's go ahead and start, Chris. We're going to start with the number one, the gray stuff from Beauty and the Beast versus number 16, Al's Cheese Puff from Toy Story 2. Chris and Dearsay, allow me to set the scene for you. You have just sacrificed yourself for your father, and you are now a prisoner in a house, in a castle that you have never stepped foot in before. Your capturer wants you to have dinner. You say, sure. <laughs> you sit at the head of the table, the dishes come to life, and they force in front of you this gray-looking dessert and say, try it, it's delicious, don't believe us, ask the dishes. You look at the dishes, they come pouring out of the cabinet, and they don't say a word. Not a single word was said about the gray stuff after it was introduced to Belle in the middle of her kidnapping. There and it's gone. Dish it's there and it's gone. This dish uh, is could only really be described as like a pudding or maybe like a whip. It, like a moose? Like a moose. A moose is probably the best uh, description of this. It is presented to Belle during the Be Our Guest scene in the animated and the live action movie. But the dishes look completely different between the two movies. In, in the animated... It looks like a moose, right? It's this whip. She like puts her finger in it, takes a takes a little taste, doesn't have too much time to react, but looks like she she was like, oh, this looks pretty good, and then on to whatever the craziness is. In the live action, uh, it is shoved in front of her face. The camera focuses on it for a split second. It looks like like caviar. It's like giant or, caviar. They're like yeah. they're like massive little spheres. Served like, on like a platter of ice like you'd serve oysters on. So, it, yeah. And so I was like, is, is it that? Is it more of like the dip and dot consistency Ooh. where they're like these little frozen ice cream snacks? We would never find out because uh, Emma Watson didn't even try it. <laughs> so like <laughs> she just looked at so, it. <laughs> she just looked at it and we moved on to the next craziness. So uh, I'm going to say this at the very top of the show, Chris. I am not a huge sweets person. Oh, same. I've never been. And so when I'm presented with the gray stuff and it it arrives in the animated feature, and that's what I'm going to be basing this discussion off of because who knows what the heck happened in the live action. But it was presented on a potter of desserts. It looked like there's some cookies on there. looked like there's some, you know, pastries. There maybe some muffins. So I can only assume that this is a, a sweet food item a couple years ago when disney announced this live action uh remake of beauty and the beast they actually served the gray stuff in disneyland yeah uh they renovated the village house into uh red rose tavern in in honor of it i think it still is red rose tavern they haven't i'm pretty sure they left it yeah yeah so the the gray stuff was able to be found there 
I never tried it because like I just said, not big on sweets. I would assume that this stuff is good and is delicious. One, because I guess we have to rely on the word of the dishes. And two, <laughs> because Belle tried it and she did look like it was good. She didn't spit it out. She didn't say, get this away from me. She was just whisked away to the next scene of knives and feather dusters dancing around. So I can only assume it tastes good. I'm not a big sweets guy. So that brings me to the next one. Owl's Cheese Puffs. Uh, this takes place, this scene happens when Woody has been also kidnapped and he is in this glass case and he is trying to figure out how the heck to get out of here. His capture, Al of Al's Toy Barn, uh, who is plotting to send him off to a museum in, in Tokyo, fell asleep watching some TV on the couch and was eating a massive bowl of cheese puffs. These cheese puffs look like if anyone has ever had uh, Cheetos puffs, yeah, like the, the air-infused Cheeto variety. Those were my favorite of the variety of Cheetos. Yes. I Thank you. Thank you. Cheese puffs, baby. Oh, <laughs> man, I love them. So you see them, one, wasted, scattered across the floor, which was disgraceful of Al to do, but Al's a gross human being and a little sketch, and so why wouldn't that happen? Two, when Woody's walking around them trying not to crunch them bullseye ends up crunching one of them you can hear that that cheeto puff fluff in there you can hear just how crunchy how delicious that thing sounds and then number three when woody gets over to al you can see that cheese dust on the fingers baby chris and deer say who had the urge to just be like man i want to I want to take a lick of that cheese puff no. fingers, baby. Oh, God. No, 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 no. I want to take no, a lick no, of that no, cheese puff no, finger, baby. No, 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 no. Al's, no. Fingers, Al's fingers are the exact reason I have to go with the gray stuff. Oh. Al's fingers, <laughs> not even the cheese puffs themselves. And let me tell you, I actually tried the gray stuff at Red Rose Tavern. And? It's, um, it was okay. It was white chocolate base. Um, the twist had like some Oreo flavoring, which I think is how they made it gray. It was filled with raspberry stuff, and that was really good. But I, I thought it was really overrated. But if we're gonna put it next to Al's cheesy fingers, I'm oh god, just for the fingers alone, I would have to give it to the great stuff. Great, that's perfect because I'm gonna give it to the cheese puffs because I do not like desserts. I think that these cheese puffs look delicious. I want to have cheese puff dust on my fingers this moment because that sensation is fantastic. Chris, that means you're breaking the tie off I'm the breaking top. the tie. Let's go. So I have a couple of like observations about the cheese puffs. <laughs> I think that the scene is a reference to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark where oh, yeah. he like comes up on one puff and the camera kind of like pulls out a little bit and there's like a little kind of like an adventurous like shocking like musical shift that reminds me of like when Indy's going through that like first chamber and he sees all the booby traps on the ground yeah so I like that little nod uh yes Al is disgusting here's the thing <laughs> he spilled an entire bowl of cheese puffs on the floor but his fingers are so cheesy this had to be like his second or third bowl of cheese puffs oh, yeah so this dude's been going at it for a while with these cheese puffs great point he let them fall on the ground though how good could they be 
he fell asleep enjoying the thing that he loves the most. And that's the thing that's interesting is that Al's love for cheese puffs really says a lot about his character. Because <laughs> if you've ever been to a Walmart, one food item they always have by the checkout is cheese puffs and cheese balls. Mm-hmm. Well, so like there is something to be said about like someone who eats cheese puffs regularly. That type of person is an Al. Now, Al's a successful businessman. Yes. You know, it is what it is. He's a dreamer and schemer. But he's also kind of lonely, it seems like, you know, so like maybe he doesn't care so much about what he's eating. The best part of the sequence is the disgusting belch. Ah, uh, yes. And Pixar could have gone with like a comical, loud, like burp, but they went with the more realistic, like you you feel the air bubble coming up and then it's just like a he just like blows it out of his mouth and that is like 1000 times more disgusting yeah. like you can you can smell, smell that. that oh god and so like looking at these two on paper you go oh gray stuff it's iconic everyone knows what gray stuff is like everyone wishes they could try gray stuff but like uh, the cheese puffs are just, there's so much more going on in this scene. The food item serves the character and the story a little bit. So honestly, I like the cheese puffs better. So I'm breaking this tie and I'm advancing cheese puffs past the gray stuff in an upset. An upset to start the show. Oh, that's not going to last on <laughs> Welcome to the show, dear say. Welcome to the show. She actually just left the Zoom call. So we're going to have to get her back on. Oops. All right, well, let's move on to the next matchup. It's the number eight seed Aurora's birthday cake versus the number nine seed M&M's pizza from The Princess Diaries. So we'll start by talking about Aurora's birthday cake. This is a scene that we shouted out when Mm -hmm. we talked about Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether in our best sidekicks bracket. These three are like the highlight of Sleeping Beauty. They are so funny, and that is perfectly displayed in this scene where they're trying to prepare a birthday party for Briar Rose's 16th birthday and they're trying to do it without magic. So uh, Flora and Meriwether are making this dress and Fauna doing a little flick of the wrist in the kitchen trying to make up a cake. (laughs) And Fauna is Fauna another planet trying to cook up this cake she's just in another dimension trying to figure out how to make this thing happen for aurora she has no idea how to interpret the recipe it's like three cups of flour she's like "Hmm, cups 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 oh cups she grabs the closest three semi cup shaped things which is like a bowl a cup and a pitcher and just starts like shoveling flour into this bowl then she's like, oh, uh, put in two eggs, fold in yeah. two eggs. And she just takes two full <laughs> eggs and drops them in. Doesn't even crack them, shell and everything, whole eggs. And it's like one, te- one teaspoon. And she's like, tisp, one tisp. <laughs> I mean, have you ever baked, Chris? It's confusing. It can Super be. Super hard. I, I do not claim to know how to bake or to be able to make a cake better than Fauna can. But... On top of this, like, general confusion in the kitchen, she has this, like, spaced out look in her face. Like, they animated her eyeballs to be looking like she's just staring blankly. (laughs) I don't know if that was intentional or not, but, like, 
Meriwether's like, oh, like, it seems like she's just a baby. And Fauna's, like, slapping the dough and is like, oh, yeah, just a baby. She's just (laughs) got this, like, glazed-over look on her face that is just so, so, so funny. Uh, Great sequence. They end up up using magic in the end because they can't do it. Yeah. Terrible. And here's the thing. They're trying to frame Fauna as this, like, incompetent, fairy and Meriwether and Flora have a conversation in the corner they're like just let her do it she's never baked before this could be her only chance so clearly like the dynamic in this trio is that Fauna is a space cadet and she has no idea what's going on but who's the one whose uh crazy magic battle ends up revealing their location to Diablo Flora and Meriwether Mm -hmm. so uh who's the smart one now (laughs) It reminds me of the gasoline fight in Zoolander when they're just like going crazy. Yes. Uh, The cake itself, there are like two versions of it. There's the the no-bake cake that that Fauna like puts candles on and frosts and everything. Honestly, that one looks better, I think. It's kind of got like naturally like gooey, runny looking frosting. It's being held that up was, by like a, a, it was a, broom. a broom. Yeah, it was a broom. Yeah. If you like splinters in your cake, that's the one to go with. The cake is so moist that like it can't even stand up on its own. Like, yeah, it's I, probably the lack that, of the eggs keeping it together due to the how, fact that. That's honestly how I like my cakes. You know, I don't really like the store-bought looking cake or like the the nicely frosted wedding cake that is like three or four tiers on it. And that's what the end cake ends up looking like once they, they bring out the magic. Yeah. I mean, it's probably fine. It, it looks good. I just like the other one better. Now let's talk about M&M's pizza, shall we? Yeah, please. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about pizza in general. Yeah. All right. Pizza is a game of ratios. There are pizzas with a lot of cheese, pizzas with a lot of sauce, pizzas with a lot of dough. Uh-huh. So I want to ask y'all, we often talk about like New York pizza versus deep dish pizza out here on the East Coast. I'm personally a Detroit pizza guy. I think that's the best type. It's like very buttery, thick crust hmm. and a lot of cheese, minimal sauce. So, so what do y'all prefer? Okay, so I actually had deep dish pizza last night. I am a pizza fiend. I have pizza twice a week. I'm a disgusting human being. Not quite our level, but I'm a big pizza fan. I'm one of those unfortunate women that believe pizza is a personality. So I apologize. So I'm a big fan of just a really simple quality ingredient wood fire oven Mm. pizza okay and i'm a huge fan of my ideal pizza and again i'll try all the stuff you know i've had new york pizza i've had chicago deep dish i've had pizza in italy i've had um there's actually a place down here that is doing uh unique pizza experiences and one has birria like the the mexican slow cooked goat meat pizza and that's next on my list but to me, just a very simple, classic, you know, wood-fired, red sauce, some ricotta, some basil. Fire it up, not too long, but just to get it crisp around the edges, nice 
thin layer of everything, just roll it up, put it in my mouth. Yeah, just like I, a little, maybe 12 inches or something like that, like a personal pizza? Like, yeah. Okay. I'd say so. I'm, I'm definitely in... I, I don't think I'm a huge fan of deep dish pizza. Crust got to be a little bit on the thinner side for me. Uh, I will say that pineapples do belong on pizzas. So my pizza of choice is some pineapples some pep and some jalapenos. Give me that sweet. Give me that spicy. Give me that salty red sauce. Um, if you could put a little like garlic butter on the crust, make my day. I I'll try all pizzas. I'm not a huge fan of the deep dish that feels a little too heavy for me uh but yeah that i i love a little sweet spicy salty love it that's interesting because i'm not the type of person that is like judgmental about what people put on their pizza this like pineapple on pizza thing has become like a meme right that i just do not care about it's mm-hmm. the same with the hot dog is a sandwich thing i do not care right. i didn't even Does hear about matter. that <laughs> like hey sushi's a burrito right it is like it literally like pop tarts or ravioli come on like <laughs> i'm the type of person that is like cheesecake is a deep dish pizza like who cares you know it's the same exact thing <laughs> so in princess diaries we get an m&m pizza which is yeah. not a conventional pizza ingredient just some context for maybe people who've never seen the princess diaries or it's been a while princess diaries is an incredible movie one of my favorite live actions ever. It's hilarious. Princess Mia has kind of a flame with her best friend's brother, Michael, before she gets like her princess makeover. He's this like kind of moody musician guy who works in a garage and he plays keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> he's like dream. Early 2000s dreamy. Yes. His, bang, his bangs cover his oh. eyebrows. And Write a while he's song about me. Do it. Oh. While he's playing his keyboards, he's got M&Ms on them, mm-hmm. which I don't understand. Why is it just quirky? Did someone in rock and roll history do that at some? I don't know. I don't know, but he does it. So we get the M&Ms thing early on in Princess Diaries. Then she gets made over. They set up a date. They set up a pizza. It's like a pizza and work on my Mustang date. <laughs> and she's like, oh, pizza with m and So anyways, Mia decides to go to the Baker Beach Bash with uh, the sexy preppy guy. Yep. And Eric Mandy Fonten. Moore. And uh, Mandy Moore. <laughs> Brink, right? Is that That's Brink. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same actor. Yeah. So she goes to the Baker Beach <laughs> Bash with Brink. <laughs> Look how far Brink's come. He just won his downhill derby and he's off to Geneva's ball. Yeah, so he um he was a total sellout and, <laughs> and he just went full prep and got like a little yacht and is living in San Francisco. Moved up to NorCal. So anyways, uh, Mia feels really bad about standing up Michael, the original guy, and so... She invites him to the Genovia Independence Day Ball, like where she's being coronated, crowned, Mm -hmm. announced as like future princess. And he kind of is like, no. (laughs) Like, he he says, I consider myself royally flushed. (laughs) Yes. And that, that like cuts deep. And so to like get him back, Mia 
orders Michael a New York style pizza with M&Ms on it that says, I'm sorry. Yep. And he's like, that's it. Change my mind. I am now all in once again. I no longer have any self-respect. Let's do this. Thank you, M&M's Pizza. Yeah, so at first I was like, I don't know that that's believable. And then I was like, you know what? This guy's so weird and quirky. Like, maybe maybe I do believe this. Absolute manic pixie dream boy. I cringe so much at the fact that I was so into it back in the day. This pizza gets delivered by a guy in a goatee, <laughs> and he's really, like, grungy looking. He looks like the dude from the, like, goat man from Narnia. Yes, he looks like Mr. Tumnus, yeah. the pizza <laughs> delivery man. Yes. And Michael goes, you don't make the pizza. <laughs> and, like, gestures to his beard, like, to imply that maybe his, like, beard hairs are, like, falling in the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is after uh, Michael's like, I didn't order pizza. And the guy's like, you are Michael Moskowitz, right? He's like, yes. We get a call, we deliver. That's our motto. It's like, that's an interesting motto. Are there pizza places that get a call and don't deliver? (laughs) That would be like your pizza place's motto being, food, we make it. (laughs) I would hope so. You are a pizza place. To be fair, I think that slogans aren't meant to be good. I think slogans are meant to be memorable. Got milk? I don't know. Do I? (laughs) very true very true so here's the ultimate question what does m&m's pizza taste like the way i see it there are a few ways you can attack this pizza i think you cooked it up before we hopped on this podcast i think think you know exactly what it tastes like and you're just letting us know this is the experience that i had last night oh my god (laughs) Kyle, you called my bluff. We've been doing too many podcasts together because <gasps> I went down to my favorite New York slice spot, Freddy's on the Upper West Side. I got oh. me a slice of cheese pizza and I picked up some M&Ms, put them on like the edge of the slice because like sorry is written across the whole pizza. So right. you're only going to get a few M&Ms on like the first bite of the slice. Correct. That's assuming you're eating this with the M&M's on it because you can also take the M&M's off and eat them on their own before you take a bite. I think we got I always assume that's what you did. I guess so. Yeah. Oh, is it happening? Before we get into what it tastes like, I want to talk about what it looks like. The, like, colors from the M&M's have, like, run onto the cheese. So, like, I have, like, little blue and green streaks on here. Uh, And this slice wasn't even that hot because, I mean, it's been sitting here for, like, probably an hour. Right. And it's, like, runny and, like, the M&M's are starting to melt. Yes. I don't even know that it would be practical to pick off these M&M's and eat them. So the only way you can eat it is to just go for it. Oh God! Oh no! And that's what I'm gonna do right now. Here we go. All right, this, Chris. Chris is this, uh, raising the slice. He's like assessing every New York slice. You gotta fold it. He's folding it up. <sighs> He's folding it up. He's assessing. This Feel hurts free me. to edit this out the awkward me. silence while I chew this. No, we're gonna. No, we're gonna comment. All right. On. Yeah. So he just took a bite. He's nodding. It's 
this displeases the pizza queen. He's he's looking around. He's thinking about it. He's nodding like maybe, maybe it is. He's giving us one of those looks. I can't look. Oh, and now he's oh <laughs> yeah, he did a little kombucha girl. Yes, maybe no. He's doing this for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And he's going for I mean, second. A second bite. Oh, he's going in for se second bite with a couple more M and M's on it. He's got to reassess, recalibrate. He's nodding. He's ready. He's gonna let us know. This is a pizza no one should eat. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! This combination, this chocolate and cheese combination, does not work. Okay, that was gonna be my question: is is the sweet and salty enough to push it over the edge? Garbage Disney food, garbage real food, Aurora's birthday cake advances. All right, so like I wasn't going to advance uh, Aurora's birthday cake because of the fact that there were whole eggs in it and it was held up by a broom. Uh, the the second edition of the cake looked fine. It looked like a store-bought cake. You walk into Safeway and you say, I need a cake. And they say, here's like 20 boxed up already. Go ahead and pick your choice. That's what we get at the end of uh, their cake making adventure. So what I was interested in the M&M's pizza is like that sweet and salty, like, you know, like chocolate pretzels and, and how satisfying that is. So I was like, ah, I might be interested in trying it. Apparently but after not. having, yeah, after having to experience you on camera eat that Ugh. pizza, there's no way I'm gonna be able to move it on. So it's going to be the birthday cake. Dare say before Chris's scientific experiment, were you going to advance M&M's or were you cake all the way? Oh no, I was cake. I was a thousand percent cake. And that just... <laughs> Deep breaths, everyone. I really wish I hadn't seen that. Like I'm still <laughs> reeling from that. It, it hurt me to watch that. Let's, um, let's, let's just yeah. advance the cake and move on to something tastier, shall we? I'm with you. I'm with you. So we're going to be talking about number four, Remy's Ratatouille from Ratatouille versus the number 13, The Bow from Bow. Oh, this is a hard one. Oh. So Remy's Ratatouille is is the, the rat's name is Remy, everyone. Stop calling him Ratatouille. Second of all, he makes the dish Ratatouille at the end to impress the food critic at this restaurant that his homeboy is trying to do well at whatever who cares it's ratatouille ratatouille as a dish is like a vegetable dish you have sliced and layered zucchini eggplant squash tomatoes uh you put that over a like tomato based sauce and then on top of that uh you can sprinkle it look like basil or something i hate whole tomatoes and i hate zucchinis so immediately, like, I'm not advancing ratatouille. This looks like the worst dish. This looks like a nightmare for me because I do not like those two vegetables. Growing up, I would be served. I hope my mom's listening to this podcast. She knew about it. I would be served even cooked zucchini. And I would have to, like, put it in the middle of other things on my plate just to finish that vegetable dish. And to this day, I can't eat it. So it's not, it's not for me. Ratatouille, uh-uh, absolutely not. Um, Chris, I'll let you talk about the bow and and I can chime in on some more info about it. But for me, it's just going to be the bow. It's, it can't be ratatouille. The thing I think we need to talk about with Remy's ratatouille is like the thematic significance of the dish. Yes. And so on the one hand, like I want to do this bracket really straight up and be like, that food looks tastier. That food looks tastier. 
But other than I think we need to talk about like the story significance of some of these dishes. Sure. I hate zucchini. The food <laughs> The food critic in Ratatouille is named Anton Ego. Yep. Ego, E G O. And Ratatouille Colette one of the chefs says that's a peasant dish. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like Remy's insane idea to like serve this man who is a critic named Ego with a peasant dish that is just vegetables. Right. And I think that says a lot about like the confidence of the Remy character mm-hmm. and the fact that like Ego Ego is transported into another dimension <laughs> yeah, when he I takes know. a bite of this food like I know. his whole world is shook i know he's like thinking about like his mom and like he his, like becomes like, a child again. <laughs> he's like oh <laughs> like he lo- this ratatouille hits different yeah okay that's fair the thing is i also do not like zucchini or tomatoes or squashes I've never had a ratatouille. I don't want to have a ratatouille. Yeah. So I'm also advancing the bow. And we can talk about the bow on next episode because yep. there's a lot to talk about with that. Dear Say, how do you feel about that? Oh, wow. You know, I knew this was going to be a hard one from the start because, I mean, the bow looks fantastic. You know, there's definitely some stuff to talk about, primarily the fact that she's eating her son in a way. <laughs> we'll get we'll, there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but here's the thing. In defense of the ratatouille, the fact that this was a dish that, as we spoke about in, in the story, literally touched a part of that man's cold heart and brought him back to a happier time. I feel like we all have that dish that brings us back to being six years old and mommy brings you a dish and everything's okay in the world. So I feel like the thing about both of these dishes, honestly, is that they're more than just the food. Yeah. So it's very hard to compare. What was that dish for you? What's the dish that transports you to eight-year-old Dearsay? Okay, my mom's chile relleno recipe. Ooh. Now, chile relleno takes a very long time because you have to char the poblanos first, peel them, you know, you make the st- whatever you're going to stuff it with. My mom did um, carne molida, so like ground beef with like potatoes and uh, tomatoes and some good cheese in there and oh it just brings me back mm. so it's there's so much emotion in Remy's Ratatouille right yeah. and but I will say and can someone give me a refresher I'm pretty sure that in the Ratatouille they didn't fry the vegetables right how did they prepare the vegetables because ratatouille is one of those weird things. And I, again, I'm the food snob that you guys invited for this specific reason. So I have to be a stickler. So this might change my view. Uh, there's two different dishes that are very similar. There's the ratatouille, which, in which the vegetables are fried. And there's confit bialbi, which is the same vegetables with different preparation. And those are not fried, but baked. And also they replace one of the vegetables. I believe they replace the peppers for mushrooms, if mm. I'm correct. And I'm sure if I'm not correct, someone <laughs> that well, know. this, they will tell you. But yes, so I'm not sure if it's strictly ratatouille because I don't remember them frying the vegetables. No, it, yeah. it looks like they might have oven baked them. If I'm looking at it correctly, they 
they sliced them and then they put them on a, a baking sheet and then the next time you see them they're being put onto like the 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 pot with the sauce in it then this is not a strict bacteria this is a confibialdi and therefore i'll acquiesce and go with the mouth you're gonna go against remy remy's experience and his expertise on what this is because i'm such a semantics <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next matchup. It's number five, Lady and Tramp Spaghetti versus number 12, the Parr family's Chinese dinner in The Incredibles 2. Let's start off by talking about spaghetti. And before we get into that, I want to talk about the setting of Lady and the Tramp. This is really like a debated topic in my brain. Like I can't figure out where it's set. This like Bella Note thing makes me think it's set in like Italy or like France or something, but it's set in a Midwestern town. I love how we're both nodding no. Yeah, yeah, Midwestern town. Yep. It's just like, it's the Italian place in this town, you know? Like it's like, oh, I'm having Italian food tonight. I'm going to Tony's. Right. So this is turn of the century. On the internet, it said 1909, and it's meant to be like a copy of Marceline, Missouri. Right. Walt's hometown. So Tony, that. that's fun. The early 1900s saw two million Italians immigrate to the United States, either fleeing poverty or political drama and war in Italy. Okay. Here's the thing that I'm kind of having a tough time wrapping my head around is that Tony probably immigrated from Italy around 1900. Uh, Tramp remarks that he doesn't speak English very well, so he's clearly, like, not from America. Mm-hmm. He made it all the way to Missouri, yep. which, like, takes money. A lot of immigrants from Europe just made it to New York City, and then they stayed there. So, clearly, Tony probably owned a restaurant in Italy before, and yes. he just was done with it and yes. wanted to come to america and serve his food mm-hmm. so tony knows what he's doing is yes. what i'm trying to say oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes absolutely in addition to the fact that i think italian food is kind of hard to mess up it's not exactly easy to get like amazing but there's like a low floor or sorry there's right. like a high floor on italian food right like the worst italian food's still edible also, the fact that there's like the, the fact that there might be a really really bomb Italian spot in a, just a random <laughs> midwestern city. At first, I was like, that seems kind of far fetched. But only like a week ago, I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and had one of the best Italian dinners I've ever had. I had like a lasagna to go. It was amazing. Have you ever seen diners, drive-ins, and dives though? Flavor Town, baby. Guy Fieri will literally go to. Nowhere, Missouri, or who the hell knows, Alaska, and he'll find the best Chinese food or the most authentic tapas. And it's just very interesting how people move. You know, let's operate under the assumption that Tony made it to New York, fell in love with a sweet Midwestern girl who was a transplant, and she's like, hey, Tony, I, you know, my parents aren't doing well. Let, let's, let's make it out. You know, my father sent me some money. We need to be there for his last days and he's like, okay, but I love you and I don't want to take your parents' money. So the minute that we get there, I'm starting this restaurant 
and I know we're going to be okay because they're family. So occasionally I'll serve dogs. And she's like, what? And I, I love you. And I love you so much that I'm going to name the restaurant after me. <laughs> exactly. He's, yeah. I love the Tony origin story yeah. we've created here. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've thought about the scene a lot and we'll get to it, but, um, Walk me through this Chinese dinner, because I'm actually, I love The Incredibles. It's one of my favorite movies, and yet, I'm having trouble placing it. So, The Incredibles, at the very beginning, have this family attack on uh, a villain, uh, the Underminer. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like, starts attacking the city, and so all of The Incredibles together try to stop him, and they F everything up. Mm -hmm. And so, they get in trouble, and basically get sent to a motel to lay low. And while they're at this motel, they order some Chinese food for dinner. Okay. I got it. Yeah. So something that's kind of interesting about that scene for me is the name of the motel is the Safari Court Motel, which I believe is probably based on the Safari Inn in Burbank, Yeah. which was down the street from my apartment when I lived in LA. And I had my very first job working during finals week of casting a VH1 TV show. And I was like a little assistant running around the Safari Inn, uh, like helping people get food and picking them up from the airport and stuff. So like when I saw that Safari Court Motel sign in The Incredibles, he was like, I know where that is. (laughs) So they order some Chinese food for dinner. Much like Al's Cheese Puffs, the concept of the Chinese food dinner says something about the situation. The family is feeling probably emotionally or financially strained. I say or because sometimes it's like, oh, mm, yeah, if you don't have a lot of money, you got to order Chinese. But like me ordering Chinese food, it's like 80 bucks for like two (laughs) people for a Chinese food dinner. So like I don't buy the idea that like when you order Chinese food, you're financially hit rock bottom. Like maybe emotionally, you're like maybe a little lazy. You don't want to cook some comfort food, but... It's emotional. It's an emotional meal. They just basically got placed into witness protection. You know, they're basically like laying low and they need to eat. And the easiest thing to feed a family of what, five is to just order some Chinese food. And this Chinese food consists of egg rolls, vegetables, and pot stickers. I couldn't find anything else on the plate. Yeah, I couldn't even tell that those were pot stickers, to be honest. It's like sides only. Like, where's the orange <laughs> chicken? Like, where's the broccoli beef? What are you guys doing? The egg rolls look really good. Yes. They really, really do. That's probably the best part about it. Dash complains about all of the vegetables that he has to eat, which is like totally realistic when ordering from a Chinese restaurant. It's like you got to pick around the vegetables if you want to get to the good stuff. But they're covered in soy sauce and MSG, though. They're still not... You know, oh, yeah. it's still not health food at all. No, but as a 10-year-old uh, kid and you get handed the carton of just vegetables and he's looking for that beef and the bro- broccoli, then it's a different game. Okay, fair. To be fair, I was the only one that offended the ratatouille, so clearly I'm a, <laughs> I'm a fan of the vegetables. But, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but there's a very obvious question here, and it's what's the most filling? I think it's the carb-heavy spaghetti, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like I said, these Chinese food is like sides only. Right. If they had some like lo mein or like something like that, maybe. But I mean, you're you're right. 
obviously, in addition to the spaghetti, you got meatballs on this plate too. Mm-hmm. And meatballs is like a food genre I have come to love <laughs> since moving to New York City. I don't think I ever had a meatball in my life. And all of a sudden, like meatballs are in like my regular rotation of foods that I eat. I don't even eat noodles with it. I just eat, just give me a meatball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Hand me a ball of meat. Yes, immediately. <laughs> and and meatballs are a scarce commodity, especially when you're eating them with a pasta. And so the fact that like Tramp lets Lady eat the last meatball, that is love. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you a thousand percent. Both this... of these meals have so much love. You know, there's the connection of a family that's going through crisis, but at the same time, I'm still looking for the opportunity to share one extra long noodle with, <laughs> a, you know, with a roguish charmer while right. an Italian man sings with an accordion in the background. Like, again, this is, this is a shape. It's something that shaped me. Like, that is romance. 100%. That scene has got so much going on for it. It's got the music. It's got the spaghetti kiss moment, which is a top three recognizable, iconic, if you will, Disney magical moment. Uh, easy for me. Lady and the Tramp Spaghetti. Yep, it's spaghetti. No question. Dear, yep, I knew I knew. Dearsay was going for it too, and so I'm not even going to expand. I'll wait until the next episode, and I'll talk a little bit more about my spaghetti preferences. But let's move on to the number two, Tiana's Gumbo from Princess and the Frog and Elliot's favorite apples from Peace Dragon. Yo, little baby Tiana be cooking. Oh, crazy. Oh my gosh. So we're introduced to this gumbo at the very beginning of this movie. Uh, Tiana's seen with her dad and her mom, and she's cooking up some gumbo. It's already finished. Uh, for those who, for whatever reason, don't know about gumbo, gumbo is a menagerie of different ingredients that are boiled down and added to a ton of kind of like Creole and Cajun spices. Uh, If you've ever been in New Orleans, you should try some of the best gumbo and even jambalaya down there, right? It's, they're they're kind of cousins in that way. And I'll probably be uh, getting some angry emails about my like relating those two dishes together, (laughs) but uh, I did it anyways. So in the gumbos, you have like bits of seafood, some ham, some sausage, Mixed in there are some veggies that are then like soaking up in this in these spices, um, a bunch of rice and a little hot sauce to 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 kick it. And that's what we see Tiana. And that's when we're introduced to her. She's about to give this gumbo to her dad. And the way you know this gumbo is good is because dad needs to approve. And even before he tastes it, she's like, wait, no, 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 no. Let me throw some more hot sauce on it. Let me throw some more hot sauce on it. When I saw her throw more hot sauce on it, I was like, this is going to be the best gumbo. This is good. This is the best gumbo. I love spicy dishes in general. I love spiciness, especially in these like savory soups and and dishes, you know, that this just looked so good. We also know that it's really good because the whole damn neighborhood showed up for this five-year-old's gumbo, dude. Are you joking? Yeah. And that's like super, super impressive to me. The dad mentions that happening like it's no big deal. It's like, oh, yeah, like good food brings the whole neighborhood together. You know, you know yeah. how it is. I'm like, I've literally never seen that before. Like this gumbo has superpowers, <laughs> yeah, especially to be made by somebody in preschool. 
And so that sets us up for like Tiana, who's going to go on to be this amazing chef and open up her own kitchen. So I hope, and I know you're listening to this podcast, Disney. I know we're on your radar. When you renovate Splash Mountain into Tiana's drop of whatever, and you renovate in hand, because I know you will, the Hungry Bear restaurant and make it Tiana's kitchen, you better include this gumbo. Oh, they have to. They, they have, have to. to. There's, there's no way that that bear thing stays there uh, after its remnants are taken away from Splash Mountain. Winnie the Pooh has nothing to do with the hungry bear. Uh, turn it into Tiana's kitchen and serve me some gumbo. Ooh, I didn't um, even think of that possibility. Oh my gosh, I'm excited now. Yes, because the entire movie, The Princess and the Frog, is just such a food heavy movie mm-hmm. one of the things i didn't mention when we were doing the ones that barely missed the mark because i didn't want to spoil anything that was coming up but yeah Tiana's beignets. yeah everything exactly. looks phenomenal you could build an entire menu because you have a restaurant on screen you really yeah. could exactly and Thank goodness that beignets didn't make it to this bracket because uh, not a big sweets guy. Although I do love beignets. And especially when I was in New Orleans, I, I ate those things up with a little bit of coffee. I love it. Anyways, Tiana's Gumbo. I hope we see it in the parks. I hope we see the parks again in general. And uh, I, I hope I can enjoy it after riding the renovated Splash Mountain. Across the bracket is number 15, Elliot's favorite apples. These are just apples from an apple tree that Elliot's been munching on. Apparently, he loves them. Uh, we must have hit a really old demographic when uh, we got to this number 15 pick. It's not a huge pot point. It's just that, you know, it, it was really in the in the animated movie to show off that first snippet of like, this is live action and animation, everyone. <laughs> and so yeah. we're going to show like uh, we're going to show Pete throwing in some apples into this animated dragon's mouth like yeah all right cool thanks but it doesn't match up to tiana's gumbo i'm moving that on i will say the apples look good though like yeah they look like tasty apples there are organic apples which are usually like small and tasty and then there are genetically modified apples which are like gigantic but kind of bland and this was like both right these are like huge, gigantic, deep red apples that probably tasted so, so good straight from the tree. I want to talk about Disneyland apples because that was all I could think about when I was watching this sequence was is how freaky big the Disneyland apples are that they serve on their like candied apples on a stick. Yeah, they're massive. They're like the size of my head. Mm-hmm. I guess they have to be to justify them being like $15 or whatever. <laughs> But, like, once you eat all of, like, the unnecessary sugar off the outside, you're just eating a bland, genetically modified apple. So. Mm -hmm. Totally. Sorry, that uh, Elliot apple sequence triggered some Disneyland (laughs) snack thoughts inside of me. (laughs) Elliot roasts his last apple. He, like, Pete throws it into the air, and Elliot just, like, launches some flames out of his mouth. I don't know what you call that. Is that, like, apples foster or, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> caramel it's not really caramelized apple it's, i think it's just a roasted apple yeah I i've guess. never had one of those but i don't imagine it tastes particularly good no email us if you've ever done like s'mores but apples instead agree with everything y'all are saying about tiana's gumbo can't wait to talk about it more next episode dear say any thoughts on elliot's apples chris 
you raise valid points. A good crisp apple, you know. But which one do you want for dinner? <laughs> I want some gumbo. There we go. There we go. All right, let's move on to the next matchup. It's number seven, Griffin Nuggets versus number 10, Gooseberry Pie. I know everyone clicked on this podcast episode because they wanted to hear about the history of the gooseberry. Oh, dude. So I'm going to give so... the people what they wanted. I did the same thing. What a bizarre history. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I'm like, I've never had a gooseberry. Yes. So why is this gooseberry pie like such a thing? And why have I never had a gooseberry? Well, maybe it's because gooseberries were illegal until the <laughs> 1960s. Yes. So gooseberries did not like have a foothold in the fruit market because apparently the plant that produces gooseberries carries a type of rust that is dangerous to a lot of pine trees. Yeah, and like so killed them all. America wanted to protect the lumber industry, so they were like, no gooseberries. You know, forget about like the trees themselves being <laughs> needed to be saved. Got to preserve the lumber industry. So. No gooseberries until like the 70s. They didn't start serving gooseberries. So yeah. how it made its way into Snow White, no idea. But uh, that's why I've never had a gooseberry or a gooseberry pie. From their description, they're very tart. So you have to make a pie that also kind of has a sugary filling and the crust is very flaky and buttery to balance out that tartness. So Snow White wants to cook up a gooseberry pie. Apparently she's the queen of gooseberry pies. She's cooking one up for Grumpy just to make him like her better, I guess. Yeah. Then out of nowhere, camera cuts to <laughs> one of the scariest, most terrifying shots in film history. The evil witch is just staring dead into your eyes. Uh, uh. Like it's, there are not a whole lot of like moments where like an edit like that is scary. I don't know how. Every it gets me every time. It's like, ooh, whoa, yeah. <laughs> that's a scary witch. <laughs> One of the only highlights of the sequence because just before that, Snow has a couple of little birds helping her cook yeah. this pie. Yeah. And uh you might as well call this the salmonella pie because uh, <laughs> that is not going to turn out well. No. Oh, it was so cute, though. The entire sequence it was is cute. adorable. She's just rolling it out, singing a happy tune. That's what princesses do. They bake pies, and everything's adorable. And the woodland animals come in, and they're like... And infect the pie. I'm sure they prune, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm sure they cleaned yeah. themselves beforehand and just went like, there you go, here's a little, here's a little beat. Even worse. Little pie crust, I know, listen, it's still cute. That is a beautiful pie, like, before, before I even saw this list, I knew the pie was gonna be on it. That tells you something. Yeah, yeah, fair. The thing that's unfortunate is you never get to see it cooked because Snow White gets poisoned yeah. before it makes its way into the oven. So let's hop over to Griffin Nuggets. Griffin Nuggets are seen in the movie Onward, which is a movie I do not like. The Manticore, a.k.a. Corey, is working in the Manticore Tavern, which is like a family American restaurant. And uh, Barley and Ian Lightfoot are looking for her. 
She pops out of the kitchen. She's like, these Griffin Nuggets were supposed to go out 10 minutes ago. And she's got a plate of what looked like chicken nuggets served over maybe some parsley with a side of ketchup. Yep. To be completely honest, I never saw that movie. You're not really missing much, to be I liked honest. It. I liked it. I did not see this movie, so I almost don't feel like I can fairly judge considering I just fandrolled for like five minutes about how adorable that scene was and how that just made me want to live in a little cottage with seven tiny men that just doted on me. Well, all I had to do was look cute and bake pies. I still want that. Well, yeah, we're about to lay down some Griffin Nugget knowledge on you, though. So even though I don't like the movie Onward, I would 100% eat at Manticore Tavern because... sure. Diner food is my favorite type of food. Burgers, fries, chicken tenders, chicken nugs, mozzarella Mm -hmm. sticks, Mm -hmm. quesadillas. Mm -hmm. Anytime you like got the munchies a little bit, like that is my favorite type of food. And so Manticore Tavern serves all of that. At one point, she's also got a basket of what look like jalapeno poppers. Oh. Another bomb snack food. Yep. Okay. I want all of that. The restaurant looks super fun. It's themed to like, you know, fantasy fairy tale creatures. There's a mascot walking around. Looks like a great place to take the family. Maybe chaotic. It looks like a good time. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. Uh-oh. If a griffin is half eagle, half lion, what type of meat is in the griffin nugget? Chicken. Okay, actually, a very relevant story. I went, you know, outdoor dining, socially distanced. Please wear your mask when you're getting up around restaurants and whatnot if you choose to dine out. But uh, a couple of friends and I went to a local restaurant down here in San Diego called The Lion's Share. And they, their whole thing is exotic meats. And I was kind of hoping to try lion. There was no lion. I know. <laughs> that was a ridiculous statement. We ate seven different kinds of different meats. Huh. And you, you know what? Most of it tastes like chicken. And I was, I've was i never been so disappointed. Griffin nuggets are just chicken nuggets. They're just themed to this tavern, this mythical, mystical creature tavern. It's, it's just, it's like buffalo wings. It's not, it's usually just chicken wings. It's, it's, I disagree. I, I disagree no, 100% just, because it's like see... dino nuggets. It's like dino nuggets, right? No, it's like it's not those like are chicken nuggets. nuggets. Yes, it is for sure. They're just a <laughs> themed menu item. And no, just... the whole point of Onward is that there are mythical creatures walking around. You see like unicorns eating out of the trash can. You tell me there's chickens running around in this Onward universe? Yes. And so you're telling me that like griffins are these domesticated like yes. farm animals? That's even what I'm though, telling you. Even though like the man manticore is probably like cousin-ish to a lion we're just gonna eat it anyways yes that's exactly what i'm saying griffins are the chicken of the onward universe i disagree i thought about that i disagree the question to me is if you stab into a griffin on the eagle side and then you stab into the griffin on the lion side it does the same meat come out or is it like (laughs) Eagly on one side or liony on the other side, and so when sure. you order a Griffin Nugget, is it like never know which side you're gonna get, or do they like ground up all of the meats into just one Griffin we mixture? Don't, we don't know what part of the chickens. I'm pretty sure it's the second part because you know chicken nuggets come from processed meats, 
So if it's get, if you're gonna get the full Griffin experience, it's gotta be both sides. There's a place down here that does uh, bacon burgers that are 50% ground chuck and 50% ground bacon. Hmm. So it's a bacon burger completely because it's bacon and burgers. So if it's a Griffin nugget, it's gonna be both parts of the Griffin 50-50. Ultimately, I wanna try that. And that's why <laughs> Griffin Nuggets advance over Salmonella Pie for me this round. Yeah, I just no matter what these nuggets are made out of, it's gonna move on past uh, bird feet pie. Oh. So I'm not advancing Snow White's pie. Uh, it looks like it would be delicious if the dough wasn't kneaded by birds and squirrels. Dear say, you seem upset by that choice. Any thoughts about either of these picks before we move on to the next? I'm not making any friends tonight, but <laughs> chicken nuggets are basic. There we go. I said it. And I know this is coming from the pizza girl, so I'm not much better, but chicken nuggets are basic. Griffin nuggets are slightly leaner chicken nuggets. The jalapeno poppers are not on the bracket, Chris. So it's not like we can add that. That pie had a whole song and dance literally attached to it well the pie was touched by birds so it's a no for me okay right, let's valid, move, valid. Let's, let's, move on. let's move on to the next picks it is number three abuelitas tamales from coco verse number 14 Pooh's honey from the many adventures of winnie Pooh and just winnie Pooh's life these tamales look bomb bro and yeah, I, I have also, a lot of thoughts on these guys i also like you know so the, the scene is Miguel's introducing us to all of his family and we get to grandma here and uh, he's describing her as how loving she is and and aggressive essentially. And so she's he doesn't want any more. But as grandmas do, they think you want more. So she's piling on the tamales onto his plate. These look, you know, delicious. They look very uh, traditional tamales, and I am not one to speak for it, but Dearsay can comment on it when it when we get there. And uh, it, what was really frustrating about researching this is like we don't know what kind this was. Is this cheese? Is is it pork? Is it some chicken? Like we don't know because they were still wrapped up, and we never got to hop in there. But when I searched, gosh, this was the most frustrating thing. When I searched just to watch this clip, uh, tamales. Uh, Pixar's Coco. There were recipes online that were tamale recipes inspired by the movie Coco. White people, tamales were a thing before Coco. <laughs> There's tamales. The tamales weren't inspired by the movie. <laughs> they they existed before. These were just a food item. Why are you clickbaiting me into like this recipe that's inspired by this Pixar movie? Shut your dumb influencer mouth up. How insulting. Aww. So that's my rant on that. Uh, moving over to Pooh's Honey. Uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh is a bear. Uh, he's a, a, a stuffed bear in the real world, but he's a, alive in Christopher Robin's world. He's constantly trying to get honey. That's all he eats. He, he has a rumbly in his tumbly and he needs it. As a, a human who consumes food, I don't, I'm, honey's not on my like to-do list when I go to the grocery store. Usually throw it in some tea. Wasn't a big like peanut butter and honey sandwich eater. You know, I have very few uses for honey in general. 
But tamales, though, we're hopping into the season of tamales. And oh boy, am I excited. So in this one, I can't move uh, a condiment like honey on past tamales. It's going to be tamales for me. For Pooh, honey is not a condiment. It it's is not. breakfast, is lunch, dinner, dessert. Is this lifeline. dude is a honey addict. Yep. It is very much like a hard drug for him. <laughs> he is constantly thinking about how and when he is going to get it, and it has cost him his relationships. <laughs> you go into Pooh's house, there's honey everywhere, empty yep. jars, his Cuckoo clock has a little honey pot popping out of it with like an owl peeking out the top. This dude is honey all the time. He like invites himself into Rabbit's house to get Rabbit's honey because he's out of his own honey. And he eats so much honey in Rabbit's house. By the way, it's like all over him. It's like one of those like home videos where the kid covers themselves in peanut butter. (laughs) Pooh's just like, his like body is honey. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go now. And he ate so much honey, he can't fit out of Rabbit's hole Mm -hmm. to get out. Pooh is willing to like attack a beehive to get that honey. And he is so eager to get it. He shoves an entire fist of bees into his mouth without even looking. (laughs) He just goes for it. Pooh sings the Rumbly in My Tumbly song, which is an elite Disney song. There is an extended version of the song that has an incredible line that goes, any time is food time when you set your clock on poo time. (laughs) This is so, so great. So good. And like, that's what's interesting to me about this honey is like how it defines Pooh's character. Like, mm-hmm. that's Pooh's motivation for literally everything. And in a normal m- movie situation, that would make a character really like one note. It's like, God, he's, you know, just a guy that wants the honey. But like in this 100 acre wood setting where all of the little characters are characterized by their little quirks, they are mm-hmm. all kind of one note to an extent. That makes Pooh just fine for me. It's also interesting that the other characters eat honey too. They just aren't as obsessed with it as Pooh is. <laughs> right. Rabbit's like, I don't know, it's just honey. Tigger is like, Tiggers don't like honey. Mm-hmm. By the way, Tigger has a little Snoop Dogg moment when he calls the honey that sticky icky stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've never caught that. Tigger says that sticky icky stuff's only for heffalumps and woozles. Oh, bars. By the way, uh, I'm wearing my Oakland Heffalumps hat for this uh, episode. (laughs) Love it. After that, Pooh has a honey trip. He goes into another dimension where a sequence happens where there's Heffalumps and Woozles, and it is, like, bad. It's a bad trip. It's, like, nightmare fuel. Mm -hmm. Super terrifying. Great song. That sequence is brought to life in Tokyo, Pooh's Honey Hunt. There is an entire ride based on Pooh getting the honey there's like a version of that nightmare sequence in the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh ride too, but like they crank it up to 11. <laughs> that sounds it's terrifying. Tokyo. It really, really, really is. It's trackless. So like you have no idea where you're going in this big room or when and if you'll ever get out of this room. Right. And it's so cool because they have like a dummy car everyone's riding in these little honey vehicles and there's like a a honey vehicle filled with heffalumps and woozles in it that's going around it with you oh that's crazy 
super super cool uh kyle i love honey i don't know what you're doing not eating honey but i love it abuelitas tamales looks great love mexican food san diego native it's not lost on me but i gotta go with the honey oh which means dear say you're breaking a tie here oh chris that was all so incredibly informational and i have never been so engrossed and so interested in someone who is so clearly wrong <laughs> before. <laughs> and you know what? Feel free to chalk this up to the fact that I'm clearly very, very biased. Um, Go for it. That's what this show's all about. We're all about our biases. No, um, I'm just going to be very, very honest. When Coco was first announced, a lot of people, myself included, were very concerned that here goes Disney trying to profit off my culture. Cool. But, you know, they did it with such respect and such care that um, for a while now, but ever since, uh, sorry to overshare on the podcast, but my dad, my dad passed away in 2019. And this is the second Dia de los Muertos that we've had without him. And uh, Kyle, you know this about me. I do massive, extravagant Dia de los Muertos altars. And that's... I do the makeup every year. I become the Katrina. I do this. This is part of my culture that's so ingrained. And I've added, ever since my father's passing, ever since I watched Coco, I've added a yearly watch and a, a yearly cry because who doesn't, what kind of monster doesn't cry <laughs> at some point during Coco? Okay. Oh God, Miguel singing Remember Me and Mama Coco actually joining it. Oh, no. Okay, so um, going back to the movie, fantastically done. Such amazing casting. Like, I know this has nothing to do with the food, but oh, my goodness. Like, if you, if any listeners are out there are Mexican descent, the fact that we got Gael Garcia Bernal, Jaime Camil, I mean, Fluffy, sure, Gabriel Iglesias was there, and (laughs) Cheech Marin, like, there's such a widespread amount of talent like they really really took care of every detail in this movie and you know what the tamales are not the exception here they took care to show that they were true tamales like they were masa inside the corn husk they took care to show that this is something that your abuelita would really make for you and I'm sorry, but I believe that my mother's cooking is the best thing in the world. And I believe that my future child is going to think that their abuelitas tamales are the best thing in the universe. So i got to give it to her. Love it. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And uh, yeah, obviously, there's a big importance around this food dish in general uh, to families, to, to what it meant in cocoa. So it, yeah, Pooh's honey will live on forever. But uh, let's, uh, let's move on to this final matchup, Chris. All right, well, we've got the number six seed Pizza Planet Pizza versus number 11, Chef Louis Stuffed Fish from The Little Mermaid. So Pizza Planet Pizza, everyone knows Pizza Planet. I'm wearing a Pizza Planet t-shirt right now. It is referenced in almost every Toy Story thing, and it's hinted at in A Bug's Life as well. And so almost it, every like, Pixar movie. Yeah, it exists um, frequently in the Pixar universe. Maybe y'all can correct me. I've racked my brain as hard as I can. I've never seen a Pizza Planet pizza. Near have I. 
Never seen one on screen. Because so, even when they're in Pizza Planet, we're at the toy level. We never see the pie itself. Right. So I'll walk you through the scene. Mom says, let's go to Pizza Planet. Andy's stoked. They hop in the car. Woody and Buzz get lost. They come up on a delivery shuttle for Pizza Planet, which is like a super broken, old-looking truck with a camper attachment. What does that say about Pizza Planet Pizza? The fact that it's like a terrible-looking truck. (laughs) I don't know. And the delivery driver seems like he doesn't care about getting where he needs to be on time. So while they're in the truck bed, they find a box for a Supernova burger yep, and a Mega Gulp fountain drink, which says 128 ounces on it, <laughs> which is one gallon of soda. That is a lot of soda. Yeah. So we see, we had a quick shot of the exterior of Pizza Port. It's awesome. Uh, mid-century, like Tomorrowland looking architecture it's got like a one one scale rocket next to it looks like a fun place to go there's an inside with a bunch of fun like arcade games and little rides and stuff maybe when we talk about drinks one day there's an alien slime dispenser machine little girls it's like a lime green neon green liquid it looks like it probably tastes like surge or mountain dew (laughs) surge but again, we never see the pizza. Really, the only hint we get of it is the intercom says, before your journey, re-energize yourself with a slice of pepperoni, now boarding at counter three. I mean, I, there's no real information to pull from that other than they serve pepperoni pizza. And what an interesting way to market your pizza to children as a solid source of energy. <laughs> Ultimately, this is a really culturally famous, significant, iconic, whatever you want to call it, like food items. Not surprised it made the list. Not surprised it's relatively high because, you know, something people think about in the parks, uh, Red Rockets Pizza Port often got confused with Pizza Planet. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they recently just went with it and, and yeah. made it Pizza yes. Planet. But they called it like Little Green Aliens Pizza Planet or something, as if like the aliens came in and just like put a layover on uh, on the existing Reds. So this off-screen pizza is going up against Chef Louis' stuffed crab in The Little Mermaid. I don't know. This food doesn't really serve much of a purpose. It's just uh, Chef Louis singing about fish. He sings Le Poisson, which literally means fish. And he's singing about how he's going to cook it. But he's not cooking fish. He's cooking stuffed crabs. So I don't really understand. Maybe he's meal prepping for tomorrow. I don't really know. I personally don't really like crab. And we kind of see the dish eventually make its way to a table. It's like kind of in the corner, a little bit out of focus. Doesn't look super tasty to me. I'm not honestly a very big seafood guy. I really don't have a whole lot of love for the sequence because I'm kind of scarred by John Stamos's version in The Little Mermaid Live. Oh, no. That's all uh, I think about, too. Oh, no. <laughs> something, something I didn't know until I looked into it in preparation for this discussion, Rene Albergenois voiced Chef Louis, who plays Odo in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. died about a month after The Little Mermaid Live premiered. So I'm sitting here like... <laughs> I hope he did not watch that. Yeah. Oh, he was like, oh, he died of a broken heart. Yeah. He also had like lung cancer, but, um, (laughs) you know, John Stamos could have accelerated the the sickness a little bit. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. 
Um, I'm going with the Pizza Planet Pizza. I know we never see it, but I just I like pizza better than stuffed crab, so going with it. I'm uh, I like seafood, Chris, and I know Chef Louis singing about fish. He doesn't necessarily cook up the fish, but he looks like he's serving these kind of like raw fish skewers uh, as he's like chopping up the fish during that sequence. At one point, he shoves them onto a skewer and puts it on a plate that is a a, a plate full of these uh, fish skewers. And then he's uh, he finds Sebastian crawling around and proceeds to try and continue with his main dish, which were these stuffed crabs. I've never had a like a stuffed crab before. Um, I do like crab meat uh, a lot. I do like seafood. Uh, the thing that's really holding me up about Pizza Planet is one that we don't see the pizza. We can kind of assume that it's good based upon the popularity, but it also kind of reminds me of like a Chuck E. Cheese. Like, did we go to Chuck E. Cheese for like the pizza, or did we go for the games? Like, we went to go get some tokens, right? I mean. Or some tickets. So, and we know the controversy surrounding Chuck E. Cheese, where if someone doesn't finish a pizza, they just put the slices together to make it look like a whole pizza. Right. Does Pizza Planet do that? Right. So, like, that's a thing. <laughs> oh, look it up. Google that thing. Um, so, so it's hard to to pull at like what this Pizza Planet pizza could taste like. You could go to the parks and you could say like, well. The, we have a tangible thing at, at Disneyland that is supposed to be this, like, Pizza Planet pizza. And, and it's not I, even that good. That's what I'm saying. So <gasps> I've seen only that it's not good. It, it used to be good. Maybe, okay. like, 10 or 20 years ago, it used to be good. But you only yeah. knew that because you were a child back then. And it was, it was, that was even, it being good. That was Fair. even before Pizza Planet became the thing, right? That it was always Reds at that time. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to have to end this episode on a tiebreak because I'm going to go with the stuffed crab because I love me some seafood, which means we're going to dare say to end this episode with a tiebreak. So you guys are making things very difficult for me. This is the pizza girl. The pizza girl has to either. You're making this very difficult for me. (laughs) Yes. Because I have a soft spot in my heart for garbage pizza. I'll be honest. You know, at the end of like a really extensive workout or like a hike with friends you grab bite out little caesars and you go home and chill out and there's a time and place for everything including terrible pizza yeah that's not what this episode is about <sighs> i can't refute anything that kyle said and i hate agreeing with kyle i'm completely <laughs> honest mostly because i've been doing it so much this episode that i just feel like people are gonna be like oh She's just going with what he said. Uh, chef Louis earned the title of chef. So I am going to trust him over whatever 19-year-old burner, you know, stoner is working behind Pizza Planet's Chuck E. Cheese facade. <laughs> and I'm going to go with the stuffed crap. Oh, what a way to end this episode, Chris. It's We're really like starting to build up this repertoire of our best stoner episode or our highest Disney character episode, just bit by bit as we do these brackets. So I'm glad that Dearsay really brought that to the, the light about this chi- <laughs> these 19-year-old kids working at Pizza Planet. But before we sign off, let's review where we ended up. We found our Elite Eight, and that's how we're going to lead off episode two. 
First out of the bracket, we have the number 16 seed, Al's Cheese Puffs, versus the number 8 Aurora's Birthday Cake from Sleeping Beauty. Down the bracket a little bit, we have the number 13 Bao, and that will be facing off versus the number 5 Lady in the Tramp Spaghetti. Cross over the bracket, it is number 2 Tiana's Gumbo, and that will be taking on the number 7 Griffin Nuggets from Onward. And to round out our Elite 8, we have the number 3 Abuelitas Tamales from Coco. And it's going to be facing off first Chef Louis' stuffed crab from The Little Mermaid. Chris, what are your thoughts with how we ended this episode? Honestly, I'm just kind of okay with the results, but I found the conversation to be fascinating. And I'm very proud of how much value we've squeezed out of these food items that never have existed. Did you know you had such strong opinions about these topics? Because I did not. That's that's always the joy of these episodes is that we find out how passionate we are about the mini school things that is the Disney universe. Uh, Dare say thank you so much for joining us for this bracket. We enjoyed having you and we look forward to seeing you back for episode two. Thank you both. All right, folks. Well, you know how to reach us. If you got something to say about these food items, you got some food hot takes, or you got a rebuttal of some kind, send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at mousemadnesspod. Also, we just started Instagram, which we've been having a lot of fun with. Hit us up on Instagram at mousemadnesspod. You can also join our Facebook group or our Discord server, which are both linked in the description of this podcast. Till next time, folks. Beware, beware, be a very wary bear. Oh,